When was the last time you talked about sex with your partner outside the bedroom? Or have you been thinking about effective ways to communicate with your partner about your different desires or new things to try? Or maybe you're looking to ignite or reignite that passion and look for it in different forms of intimacy that really deepens your relationship. Oh, and by the way, did you know that there's 12 different forms of intimacy? In this episode, we are going to be addressing those questions you might be having in the back of your mind that you have been wanting answers to. And boy, do we have the answers to them today. Joining us is the incredible Dr. Shannon Chavez, a nationally recognized expert, therapist, and educator specializing in all things sexuality. Her mission, to help individuals and couples overcome misconceptions and personal barriers to achieve greater sexual health, wellness, and satisfaction. But that is not all. Dr. Shannon is also a national speaker on sexual health, and her expertise has been featured on major publications. You may have seen her in the New York Times, GQ, Cosmopolitan, Glamour, and many more. So whether you're single, coupled up, or maybe it's complicated, this episode can impact your sex life. Because guess what? Everyone has sex problems. You are not alone. So grab your partner or get your notebook. Let's dive right in. Thank you, Dr. Shannon, for joining us today. So how did you get into the world of sex therapy? What inspired you? Yes. You know, honestly, the first time I ever heard about a sex therapist was watching TV, Dr. Ruth as a kid. And I remember being completely blown away, like, that's an actual thing. And the more I got into the world of health, the more I kept seeing kind of sexuality and sex education come into play. And I thought what an amazing career. I want to do exactly that. And I ended up doing that. You know, I wanted to be all of those things, an educator, a counselor, a therapist, uh, being able to talk to people about sex. And I grew up in a conservative family. So I was one like many who sex wasn't easy for people to talk about. I could see how uncomfortable it made people just by bringing up the word. And I thought, you know, this is something that we all have in common. How are we going to get over the shame? And knowing that it was an actual profession that could help people with that, I thought, yeah, give me the role. I want that job. (laughs) That is fantastic. You speaking to your background of coming from a traditional family, seems true for me too, because, um, my family, it was like, Oh, you don't want to talk about this. It's like S E X. Like you, you spell out sex. You don't even like say it, which is insane. And now I'm in my thirties and I'm learning more about my body now than I ever had before. And it kind of makes me sad because I'm like, wow, if only I knew in my twenties, the things that I knew, now it would be so liberating and empowering for me instead of you kind of like it's hush hush you don't even talk to your girlfriends about certain things and you kind of brush things underneath the rug but I'm so happy that you found this profession and you're helping all these amazing women so when you talk about sex therapy and sex coaching are there differences or is it the same thing Yes, yes. And I just want to comment on what you said about families and kind of whispering or spelling out. That is so normal, right? I mean, we I had that experience too, where I remember my mom kind of always whispering or she wouldn't say sex, she would say intimacy issues. And so it's so interesting how our culture and upbringing like really shapes, like whether we see it as bad or good or taboo or whatever that may be. And, and that's kind of most people's experience. I don't know too many people that had the opposite of that. 
But to bring you to the question of sex coaching and sex therapy, I mean, this is often a first stop for many of my clients, right? I will meet people that say, I have never talked to anyone about sex before, or I've never brought this up with even my doctor or my spouse. So I feel like I'm kind of this gatekeeper and it's such a privilege for me to be on that journey with people. And sex coaching and sex therapy are very similar, but there are some key differences. I would say the approach is a bit different. Therapy is a bit more like a therapeutic model where it can be looking at background, patterns of behavior, early upbringing, attachment styles, and how that connects to what we do currently. So we kind of look at a lot of past and present and also where we want to go and sort of see how all of that's related and connected. It's a different approach. Sex coaching is like, all right, let's get in there and get dirty. Let's look at, you know, what can we do differently? Specific suggestions. I may send people on field trips, give them a lot of homework. Even though sex therapy has homework too, coaching, I can be a little bit more directive. It's Mm. very education focused. So it could be more advice, recommendations, a a bit of a different relationship where therapy is a lot more kind of building insight and helping people, you know, kind of get to the root of their own experience. So both, again, equally effective, just different. Sometimes people have done therapy and they say, hey, didn't work for me. I need something different. So they'll come in and we'll try coaching and it works really well for them. Or the opposite. I've done a lot of coaching, but I've never really gotten into those deeply rooted issues, or I'm still carrying around trauma and shame. So this approach might be better. But to be completely honest, I probably use a combination in most of my cases of a bit of coaching and a bit of therapy, because not all sexual issues require therapy and not all coaching uh, kind of approaches really get to all those deeply rooted pieces around our sexuality. Interesting. So it really is about like the style and how it's going to be more effective to the patient or your client at the end of the day. Exactly. And honestly, I'll talk to clients, potential clients about both. Like, hey, look, here's one way. Here's another way. Not every way works for every person. I would say my approach is personalizing a plan for each client because that's why I want to meet you first. I want to meet the person. I want to understand your lifestyle. I want to understand what you've done what's worked and what hasn't. And then let's kind of shape something and design something that works for you. And that's why it can be a combination of both. Sometimes it's one session. I've worked with people that come in and just have a safe space to talk about sex and they leave going, "Woo! I just released years of shame and body image issues and I feel so liberated and great. Sometimes that's all they need is a safe space where someone isn't judging them or they can actually talk about the things and have words and language to it and So again, it looks different for everyone. There's no kind of one way works for everyone or this is the cookie cutter model. I mean, that's the beauty of sex therapy and coaching is that it very much is personalized to the person, which is kind of like our sexuality. It's different for everyone. That's why it's going to be, you know, your concerns and my concerns may look similar, but they're going to be different. There's a lot of factors and variables involved. What are the benefits of of going to sex therapy and, and having a sex coach? I would say benefits are that 100% of people have sexual issues. None of us are going to be free from that. And a sexual issue can be anything. It's not just maybe what we hear clinically, you know, dysfunctions or, mm-hmm. you know, physiological issues, things not working, arousal or orgasm or all these sort of mechanics. You know, so many sexual issues are really about our relationship to sex, our deeply rooted beliefs, the things that we've learned over the years, a negative experience can shape our sexual response. So because of that, the benefits are you actually resolve a lot of that and you normalize the fact 
there is no dysfunction. They're concerns, they're problems, they're beliefs. So in, in my opinion, the benefits are that it's a part of wellness. That's why my model and my practice is that sexual health is a big part of overall health. We're very health and wellness focused in our culture, especially American culture. So why are we not talking about sex? Why is sex kind of way over here and health is sort of this big trendy thing? My job is really to kind of bridge the two and show people that if you improve your sexual health, your overall health is also going to flourish. So let's bring the two together and have a little fun while we do it. I love that you're making the conversation of sex fun and engaging. Now, how do you define sex? And when you talk about sex impacting your wellness and your well-being, what happens on a physiological level and what is changing within your body when you have sex? Yes. I mean, first we have to know how to define sex. That is the first thing I ask people I work with. What is sex? How do you define it? And they're like, I don't know. That's a great question. Is it penetration? Is it intercourse? Is it is it kissing? Can it be a really good massage? I mean, we have to define what it is. And I think in media, you gave a good example. When we see media, it's very kind of like, this is sex. They're telling mm -hmm. us what sex is rather than us defining what that is. And that can be a problem because we may enjoy things that aren't this definition. So I think when we think of even the idea of a sex life, what does that mean? My favorite definition of sex is mutually consensual pleasure. It can be anything. It's play with adults. So what are we doing to be creative and playful? And to your point about the body, what are we doing to take care of our bodies when it comes to pleasure and movement? I mean, if you think about our culture now, we are more stressed dealing with more health issues, people are burned out, and you're thinking, what is this lifestyle? When I hear people say, I don't have time for sex, I think, you don't have time for pleasure. We've got to change that mindset because pleasure is exactly the solution to all of those things, stress, burnout, overwhelm, depression, anxiety, pleasure is connection. And so when I think about sex in the body, I think about learning to kind of activate play and pleasure again, to get into your body and out of your head, which is what I'm getting a lot of my clients to do. Stop thinking about it. We need to feel our way through it, especially sex. You know, we can think ourselves out of it and it's, oh, I'm not in the mood and what if I can't and all these things. And yet it's simple. You know, it's really about just kind of dropping in and Sometimes that might be a quickie. Sometimes that might be a great makeout session. Sometimes that might be just kind of gazing and caressing a partner and lying next to each other in bed. But that can be so many different things. And I think, you know, we just need to get in our bodies. We're in a culture right now where we're on screens or we're on phones and we're just so disconnected from our body. So it makes sense that we have sexual issues. I mean, hello, we need to be in our bodies to experience pleasure. Now, you mentioned intimacy. How do you define it and how is it different than sex? I love that question too because intimacy is kind of this big general term. Sometimes people are like, is intimacy sex? What is that? Is that like me and my you know, partner, you know, relaxing and, and watching the sunset? I mean, the reality is it's all of that. What I usually do with clients is I give them an intimacy assessment because I teach them that there's actually 12 kind of general forms of intimacy. And most people have the reaction you do, kind of this wide-eyed, like, what are you talking about? I knew maybe like two or three, but 12 facets. So when we see that, we realize, you know what? There's a lot of ways to define intimacy. I might be really great at 
physical intimacy, but I might not be so great at communication intimacy. Or I might be really attuned with spiritual intimacy, but not so much sexual, but yet there's a lot of overlap between the two. So my job is to kind of educate people on all those facets and then see where they're interconnected. That way we don't feel this overwhelming burden that we've got to really like climb this uphill battle towards intimacy when really we might be doing some great things already in our lives, intimate lives with even outside of partners, friends. A lot of our intimacy needs are met in friendships or in our career identity. So intimacy is so much more than just partnered sex or romance. It's really about the way we connect with the world and then the energy that it evokes and then how we want to share that with our partner. So often like the things that build us up intimately in our outside life, we can bring that in and maybe that's confidence or that's libido. And so it's so much more than just, you know, the way we may think about it. You know, I think we kind of learn it in a very limited definition. Yes. Wow. I'm I'm still in shock that there's 12 different facets. <laughs> so what are what are those the big, I guess if there are a big one, what are those those some key facets within intimacy that you think are important for our listeners to to know? Yes, I would say probably the the top 5 are going to be our physical, emotional, communication, Aesthetic. I love aesthetic intimacy, and I'll explain what that is. And then, of course, sexual intimacy. And that you'll notice that physical and sexual are different, and that's important for people to understand. Sometimes sexual intimacy, because we define it as all of that, and if we're not inter- you know, we have concerns or problems, we may avoid all forms of intimacy. But what I find with most people is they'll say, I'm really comfortable with physical. And that may mean I love cuddling or holding hands or stroking my partner's face or hair. And sexual, something happens. There's an expectation or a goal, and I, I feel very self uh, insecure or overwhelmed. So, those top top five are important to just learn the difference. You know, you may be doing really well in some facets, or some may be more of a priority, and others not, and that's okay. For example, some people may say, "I love emotional intimacy, eh, sexual intimacy." It's important, but it's not my top priority. And that's perfectly normal. Again, there's no right or wrong or like we must make this one a priority Mm -hmm. and sex is at the top. I don't believe that. I think intimacy as a whole is about connection and presence. And there's a lot of different ways to meet those needs and also a lot of different desires towards intimacy that we might just not be talking about in our relationships. And you said communication is one of those. And a question I get quite often is, how do I communicate more effectively with my partner? How does communication play such a big role? I love that question because couples communication is like its own language. You know, we tend to feel like I have to say more to get my point across. And I actually have the opposite rule. Can we say less and be more intentional to be more direct about what we're trying to get across? If we think about it, what's the goal of couples communication? Sometimes we just want validation. I just want you to let me know that what I'm saying is important to you. You don't have to be that interested in the topic. You don't have to provide a solution to the problem. All you really need to do is validate that you're curious, you are open to hearing me, and you're not reacting to what I'm saying, but you're you're holding space for me. You're giving me a space to be able to share a part of my heart, something that's very vulnerable and difficult to communicate. So that's a key. 
I think couples get into this pattern of reporting, right? Let me give you as much information and details so you get it. And what happens is we get lost in the details. We might focus on one sentence or one word, get defensive because we don't agree, which is also another rule I have in communication is you don't have to agree. Agree to disagree because the fact that we're going to be in agreement and we get stuck there we're not even getting our needs met. We may be so stuck on who's right and who's wrong that we never get to what we actually need. And what we need, like I said, is mostly just validation and empathy. Someone's saying that, yeah, I care about you. And so that's why I think we have to kind of change the way that we approach communication. And I find that probably the majority of couples communicate too much. I mean, we don't need to talk about how our day was and every detail and what I had for lunch and who's doing what at work. We need to focus on what's really intentional to let our partners know. Sometimes I'll prompt couples to say, instead of checking in with your whole report of your day, focus on something that made you proud, something that challenged you, something that made you feel really sensual, some joy you had, something that was really nice that you experienced, something that, you know, again, sparked some joy or happiness. But, you know, we don't have to do the whole report because sometimes we, it's not that we don't care about those details, but what's the purpose? Be intentional about what you're bringing into communication with a partner. I'm going to use that today when my husband comes home. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's definitely, it'll change things for sure. You'll end up being like, wow, I feel so much more connected because we're not just, again, reporting, you're reporting and I'm reporting. And then we, we get lost in so much detail. Are there any other things outside of these, uh, outside of the 12 facets of intimacy that are important for the bedroom? I would say that when it comes to sex, that most sexual communication is happening in the bedroom. And I would actually say take it out of the bedroom because that means when it's happening in the bedroom, we're usually talking about it after an experience and it can feel kind of like a report card or an evaluation. And even though I am very pro-feedback around sex, I think it can kind of create a pressure cooker for couples around sex. And it feels like a, a tense topic, like, can we talk about what happened or what I would like better? And so if we take the conversation outside of the bedroom, it allows us to to prioritize sex differently. Like I usually recommend go on a walk and talk about pleasure. Have a nice cup of coffee or tea in the morning and talk about things that turn you on. It shouldn't just be a topic that we hold for the bedroom behind closed doors because then it feels tense. It feels very much, uh, again, there's expectations around it. And we want to normalize that we should be able to talk about sex as a, as a normal part of our life, just as we talk about every other aspect of what we do, our health, what we're eating, what what are things that we prioritize in our life. So that would be important. Otherwise, it feels like a very strange transition. We're not talking about it anywhere. And then we're kind of in the bedroom and we're awkwardly trying to get through an experience. And afterwards, it didn't work out. And now we feel a lot of shame. And that's not a great pattern. Nobody wants to feel that way. Pleasure should be fun and light and you know, even though there may be more serious topics, we also have to lighten it up because sex is not a serious thing. I mean, pleasure and connection is probably one of the most natural, organic things we do. But us as humans have made it so complicated that we need to like, you know, peel back that cognitive seriousness and be able to just enjoy and have light conversations about pleasure. I love the way that you're you're approaching it. Even the way that you're communicating and you're talking about it and your enthusiasm is like, yes, I want to talk about sex all the time. It's like, it makes it very light, which I absolutely appreciate because 
once again, going back to like upbringings that mm-hmm. are similar upbringings, it's like, or for a majority of individuals, it's like a hush, hush, no, no. And having that lightness to the conversation really helps. It makes it fun. And and it should be a conversation with girlfriends. I found that not a lot of girlfriends talk about it either. No. And you should. <laughs> Yes. I mean, we talk about everything else that feels good, right? Ooh, I went on this great vacation or I saw this good movie. Why not be like, hey, I really pleasured myself really well or I got this great vibrator or I, we, you know, my partner and I had this really fun experience, but we don't because I think there's a lot of shame and embarrassment. But I do find that there's a lot of girlfriends that want to talk about it. Like, I would love for someone to open the conversation because I've got a lot to say. So I think it's just about you know, acknowledging that we all want to talk about it. I mean, I even notice as being a sex therapist, doesn't matter where I am. I could be in the grocery store line. I could be on an airplane. When people learn what I do, it's just like the floodgates open. They want to talk about sex and it's kind of exciting. I mean, to me, it kind of validates the fact why I do what I do. You know, people are just really open to talking about it. They just need permission. And that feels like a really great thing to know is that we, you know, it's such a big part of us. Again, that's like what we all have in common. Of course, we want to talk about what makes us feel good, but we have to get out of our own way. And there are a lot of barriers, like you said, you know, upbringing, culture, society, gender expectations, Mm. you know, we're women and just, you know, how we're raised to be good girls and, you know, we shouldn't talk about it. We don't want to be sluts. We don't want to be judged. And so there's so much stigma around sex, but, you know, we should be just as empowered as anyone to enjoy pleasure and be with our bodies and show our bodies the way we want Mm -hmm. and express ourselves the way we want. That is really what we're here for. I'm getting goosebumps. This is just like us talking about it. (laughs) And now I do want to turn up the heat on a couple of things because I, I do want to talk about the role the women play in the bedroom. I just read, I'm forgetting the book off the top of my head. Um, Oh, it's Come As You Are. Yes. Yay. Great book. Yes. I was shocked when I read the first line. I think the stat was about, I want to say 80% of women do not come for orgasm in penetration. I did not know that. And I thought something was wrong with me. Yes. I mean, honestly, there is such a small percentage of women that can orgasm through penetration alone because- The vagina is really our birth canal. There's not a lot of nerve endings there. The majority of where we have nerve endings and sensation is in our clitoris. In the clitoris, I'll show you this, even though this is is the clitoris. I mean, it is a large organ that has a lot of nerve endings, and it is full of erectile tissue in certain parts. So our clitoris can get erections, and we need to take time to get aroused. And what I find is that most... Uh, in heterosexual relationships, we're kind of rushing to penetration and women don't have enough time to warm up. We sometimes need an hour to warm up and that doesn't mean that we're taking too long. That just means that we're kind of enjoying the process and why are we rushing? And I think for men too, slowing them down because they've also learned sex as intensity rather than sort of sensuality. So we also have to kind of teach our partners as well to expand past the intercourse only model because you know again if we change our definition to more than that you know external clitoral stimulation is the key to female orgasm so we need to create ways for women to get the ultimate pleasure and also it's not just the clitoris i mean some women can experience many different forms of orgasm there's actually eight different types of orgasm there's many ways for our bodies to experience 
orgasm. And orgasm is just a reflex, like a sneeze. It's not the goal, but what it is is a buildup of intensity and energy that comes from pleasuring and stimulation. And so we need to bring the whole body into that process so that we can learn to claim our orgasm. And I think also women have learned that men give them an orgasm and men have also learned that I can give you an Mm -hmm. orgasm. And that's just not true. You've got to take charge of your own orgasm. What you do is you learn how to orgasm first in your own body. And that's why masturbation is really important. And when you self-pleasure, you learn how you like to be touched and how you don't like to be touched and where you want to focus. And then we can show partners what that is. And we're going to have much more pleasurable experiences. So I think not masturbating can definitely cause a lot of sexual disconnect. And of course, again, conservative upbringing. What do we learn? It's bad. Don't touch. Don't even look at your genitals. So of course, we're going to have a lot of work to do. The older we get and the more we start entering, you know, relationships or being more self-empowered. And so we have to, we have to take charge of our own pleasure. We can't wait around for someone to give it to us. Like we see it in the movies. It's just like, oh, so easy. And someone's making me feel good. And I'm just receiving and waiting for all the good things to happen. I want to teach women to be more assertive with pleasure. And that means I'm going to show you, my partner, how to create an environment for me to have the ultimate pleasure. But I've got to be vocal. I've got to give you feedback. I've got to kind of bring you in. And that involves both verbal and nonverbal communication. And that's not just, you know, I'm kind of telling you and giving you a play-by-play, but I'm moving my body. I'm breathing. I'm guiding your hands in ways that let you know what feels good for me. That's so important about the the communication and the, and the feedback. How do you do that in a way where your partner also feels safe and it's not as taken in, as a negative for your partner of like, oh, wait, I'm not doing my job. I'm not doing well. And it turns, then it can almost impact your sexual activity moving forward because they feel like they're not, they're underperforming. Yes. I always say start with what the intention is. What's actually working? And it could be the fact that you have an enthusiastic partner who has nothing more on their mind than wanting to please you. Acknowledge that before you start with the criticism. And not that you're criticizing, but that we might feel a little more critical in the feedback that we're giving. And to be, uh, to provide that feedback with the, also with the feedback of what they could do differently. Remembering you're trying to invite them into pleasure, not make them avoidant or feel afraid of, you know, not knowing how to please you. So I always say start with something that's working. I, I love the way you're touching my body. What might feel a little better for me is this. And overall, I just love the fact that we are spending this time together. So you're really giving them kind of a sense of, yes, this is working, but something could help and make it a little bit better for me rather than like, this isn't working. You know, again, being too critical is just going to shut each of you down. Even when you're receiving that type of feedback, you may feel like, oh, I'm not doing it right, or I'm not good enough, or I'm not a good lover. And then we get into our heads and we may feel very avoidant and wanting to explore or experiment. I think you almost did a, like a like a sandwich, like a feedback mm-hmm. sandwich. We did positive, mm-hmm. a little bit of feedback, and then sandwiched it with a positive there. Yeah, um, it works really well for sex. Absolutely. Love that. Now, you said it can almost take a w- women um, up to an hour mm-hmm. to kind of get warmed up. What are the benefits for couples to engage in foreplay? Yes. You know, I don't love the word foreplay so, because it sort of implies like the things that have to happen before sex. And sometimes that can feel like pressure, right? Like mm-hmm. oral sex or manually stimulating you or touching your breasts and, you know, things that might not work for every woman. 
So I usually say, you know, let's think of foreplay as not just these acts that happen before intercourse, but let's think about foreplay as how do we get in a sexual or pleasure state of mind? Sometimes that can happen first thing in the morning when you see your partner and you kind of give them a little smile or you have a nice lingering hug, or maybe you're sending each other some really nice flirtatious text throughout the day, or you leave a little note in your partner's you know bag before they go to work. It's having that intention around connection so that it's feeding into the idea of togetherness and bonding before you get into a sexual space. That's what I think foreplay is, is you're kind of building connection before you're actually physically in connection so that your mind, your heart, and your body are all aligned. Otherwise, we're going in very disconnected and we're we're not feeling that. So then we're in the mechanical part of it, but our mind and heart isn't there and we feel distracted or not turned on. So I think those types of acts in bonding can actually lead to us feeling a lot more ready for sex. So it might, and again, that can vary. It's not always going to take a long time, but if it does, I just want to say you're completely normal. There's nothing wrong with you if it takes you a little bit longer. Enjoy the ride. We shouldn't be rushing sex anyways. I love that. Now let's talk about some sex toys. And the best ways to introduce these into our relationship. When do you think it is appropriate to introduce them? What's the best way to introduce them if it's something that's completely new? Anytime you're introducing anything new into your sexual dynamic, you want to make sure that you're talking about it outside, again, outside of the bedroom first. Yes. And talk about, I mean, when you say sex toys, sometimes people get overwhelmed. Like, what do you mean? Are we talking handcuffs? Are we talking a big dildo? I mean, what is it? I, you know, we want to be clear on what, what type of devices we want to bring in and why. You know, for many people, bringing a vibrator in, it's not threatening or a replacement for a partner or pleasure in any way. I look at sex toys as pleasure enhancers. They're really there to better the experience, not to be a replacement for or make someone feel like they're not doing enough. So to be able to talk about that, why do I want to bring my vibrator into sex with you? Well, it kind of adds a little more stimulation or it makes me feel really good or it's something kind of novel for us to enjoy together. The great thing about sex toys is we are probably at the best point in our history of having the most technology. So much out there to choose from. I mean, there is there is such a huge market And I love going to expos and learning about new products because there's just so much out there. I mean, there is something for everyone. So that's why I think if you've used something before and it didn't work for you, talk to me, contact me. I will happily give you recommendations because there is so much out there. So when it comes to bringing it into sex, the earlier, the better. I mean, why wait for the perfect time? If you know it's going to enhance your experience and it's something that you can do together, talk about it. Why not bring it into sex? It could actually, you know, help resolve or or prevent issues later down the line. If you want to try something out, what's a good resource for listeners to kind of be like, oh, you know, maybe I want to try like a little bit of a vibrator or something. Where, where do you recommend listeners to go? There are a lot of websites and resources. I mean, I've written a lot of articles about this. So even if you go to my website and, and look up, you know, best toys. There's so much out there. I mean, I say I would just say just do a little research. If you're curious about vibrators, for example, Google vibrators. Look at all the different types. There's internal, external. There are wearables. There are things that you can there are vibrators for vibrators. I mean, there are so many things out there that I think, you know, you just got to do a little bit of research. It's not meant to be 
something that we're just innately knowing. I mean, we have to learn a little bit. You can also go to classes. So I know here in uh, the Southern California area, we have some really great shops and pleasure stores like the Pleasure Chest in West Hollywood is one where they offer classes. You can also find online great sex educators that are always, you know, doing workshops or courses. So, you know, I would say step outside of your comfort zone and, and you know, learn a little bit. Have fun learning about devices. I know every time I do a workshop, I always bring products. I always bring things to show people because it's just always something that people have questions about. So um, that's that's how I would start, you know, look up some different products, and then ask questions. I mean, there are so many educators like myself out there that are available to ask questions or go to their sites and just, you know, find all the great knowledge that's out there. I'm even thinking like, instead of going to a wine night with a girlfriend, why not set up, like go to a little sex workshop together, have some fun with it. Once again, Mm -hmm. just bringing the conversation outside the bedroom and making it feel more comfortable with people exactly. that you, you trust and you and you feel comfortable with. Let's do a, a lightning round of listener pull questions that we got in. The first is, how do you approach discussing sexual health and se- safe sex practices with each other? Yes, great question, because sexual health and practices, that's a part of sexual health. So I think you want to think about what are all the components of that? I would break it down into the physical aspects of safety and the emotional aspects of safety. Physically, we're going to talk about things like barriers, We may talk about things like STI testing, especially if you are uh, having casual sex or in non-monogamous arrangements and partnerships. You want to be able to have that conversation about what your values are. And that might be important to say, hey, I value getting tested regularly because that's the way I take care of my sexual health. When's the last time you've been tested? To be able to talk about that openly. I think with emotional safety and health, we want to talk about things like consent, boundaries. What are some of the things that we want? Someone that we're inviting into this space, this very vulnerable, intimate space to know about us. And that may be simple things like, hey, uh, I experienced touch this way or this might be a boundary with my body or I don't want to be touched in this area for whatever reason. Uh, being able to talk about what is important for you and and then being able to ask the questions that a partner may have as well. How can you increase the frequency of sex in a relationship? Yes. Well, I love this question because I don't like frequency as a point. I think we want to focus on the quality of the sex versus the quantity. So, and we see this all the time, right? Every time I see a magazine, like, you know, top five ways to, you know, improve the number of times or I'll have journalists say, how many times a week is healthy? There is no magic number. I mean, we need to focus less on the number because then that puts us in a very goal-oriented mindset. Like, okay, I got to have more sex to be better and just like anything in life, that can make us feel like a failure. And you can't fail at pleasure. It is absolutely impossible. So quality over quantity, focusing on the experience, being present with sex so we're not thinking about frequency. For example, if you have one great night and it's just completely all of the things that we're talking about, no goals, no pressure, no expectations, fully connected, lots of intimacy, that could sustain you for a while. You may say, I don't need to focus on the next time we're having sex because I'm still riding the high of that experience. And and then we're focusing on creating more experiences like that, which is less, again, about the frequency and more about the creativity that we put into those experiences. I love that answer. What would your advice be for those couples 
that are trying to get pregnant, how can they have sex without it feeling like work? Yes, there's a lot of pressure when you're trying to get pregnant. And, and there's a lot of timing. I mean, we're talking about frequency. That may be a goal because, hey, I'm only ovulating on these days. Mm -hmm. So we must have sex here and there. Even though there can be goals, remember the intention. You know, our intention is we're trying to, trying to make a baby. We're creating a connection. We are, you know, and remember fertility has a lot to do with what's happening internally in our body. So if we're stressed out because there's a lot of pressure, that may be hindering our ability to get pregnant. And even though we're having all the sex that we could be having in order to up our chances, something might be getting in the way. So focus on the intention and the connection. And also, again, the willingness and the bond that a couple puts in. Because a couple's put in a lot of energy for this goal, but also there can be a lot of issues that come up. For example, you know, uh, performance issues, anxiety around sex, uh, functioning issues, you know, not being able to, for males, not being able to get erections or sustain an erection or, you know, painful sex for women because there's so much pressure and tension around the whole idea of it. So um, set realistic goals, even though there is, or I would say not goals, intentions. What are we trying to do here? Talk about that. And also spend time in connection before jumping into the sex. So even though, yes, you're ovulating, let's get on it. We only have this window. Spend a little bit of time first bonding. Look in each other's eyes. Caress and touch before just getting into the mechanics of it. That's going to be much more important. Uh, of course, in, in, in just our mindset going into it, and that's going to help with some of the barriers that may come up. Beautiful. How can you increase libido naturally? Yes. I mean, libido is much more than just sexual energy. We want to think of libido as our life force energy. I feel that a lot of libido boosting comes from tapping into your own creativity. So especially for, you know, women and men, it doesn't matter what gender you are, you know, tapping into your creative self. I find that when people are blocked with sexual energy or they have low libido, they're blocked in other areas of their life too. Maybe they're not socializing as much. They're st stunted in their careers. They feel isolated. So some of those issues, as we bring that into our awareness, we'll recognize that's directly cor correlated with our sexual energy too. So creative pursuits. Think about it. When you feel really good about something, your libido is a bit higher. When we feel confident in our work or we feel really passionate about something, our libido is usually a bit more present and activated. So remember that libido isn't just sexual energy over here. It's really connected to so many other things in our life. So we have to bring that into perspective when we're addressing low libido. Awesome. And you said it was a life force. Think of it as like a life force. It's our life force energy. I mean, libido is sort of in our pelvis. This is sort of the 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 place in which it, it originates. I mean, if we look at things like kundalini yoga and certain activating movement energies, it's all about the pelvis. That's why we can get blocked there. You know, creative or writer's block, it's all kind of pelvic dysregulation. So thinking about that, you know, thinking about kind of moving out of our own stuckness, that's going to get you to boost your libido. Trying new things is going to get you to boost your libido. Exercising and movement. It doesn't just have to be exercise, but you mentioned going out with your girlfriends. Go out for a night dancing. Notice how your libido tends to shift by just kind of being in your body and having a little fun and giggling and laughing and listening to good music, all of those things can boost your libido. Amazing. How do you overcome differences in sexual desires? Yes, uh, there's always going to be differences. The fact that we are at the same level at the same time is kind of a Hollywood version of desire, and it's just not realistic. I think what we need to do is normalize kind of the waves, the ebbs and flows that we go into, 
and be really open to negotiating and compromising. There is no perfect time. There is no this time works for both of us and we both magically connect and it works out. But we need to negotiate. For example, as you read in Come As You Are, there's really a small percentage of people that experience what we call spontaneous desire. Most of it is responsive, which means that I might not be in the mood, but what can I do to get myself in that place? Do I need to take a shower? Do I need to breathe? Do I need to get my chores done? Do I need to start thinking about pleasure and not my to-do list? All of those things can be really helpful with activating desire. And so uneven desire just means we're at different places, but how can we get to a place of being understanding of others' desire and participating in each other's pleasure, even if we're at different places? That's really important. Do you have any recommendations uh, for resources or books to learn more about sex, communication, and intimacy? Yes. I mean, I would say, again, breaking it down by body and mind. I mean, we need to learn about our anatomy and physiology to understand how sex works for us. So I recommend people look at real drawings and real pictures. Also, there's a lot of shame around genitals and our bodies and not feeling normal. So I think looking at books or images that help you understand the diversity of our sexual anatomy can be very empowering and liberating. And then in terms of the mental part of it, I mean, the book you mentioned is a great one. There are so many good authors. I think that uh, just start anywhere. I know I've done an article, top 10 books that sex therapists recommend. I mean, there's so many good books out there. But think about what you need in your own personal journey is where I usually recommend. For example, if you're dealing with low libido, find some good resources that talk about what libidinal energy is, how to access it, how to learn to take charge uh, for yourself, um, because there is no magic pill or solution. So we've got to learn that we can be in full control of the reality we want to have with our sexuality. This is one of my favorite questions that I get to ask every guest. If you could go back in time and give advice to your past self, what would you say and why? I would say enjoy every stage and age of life and know that that is the moment in time. You know, Take it moment by moment instead of focusing on what's happening next. I think that we grow up up, always focusing, future focused, right? What's going to, what are you going to do when you grow up? What is the next step? You know, finding this or finding that, that I would tell my younger self, enjoy every one of those moments. They're all so unique. And I think when you're growing up, you just want to be older and better and this, but we, we lose those moments. And so I would tell my younger self to just enjoy all of that. All of that's important. And uh, there are moments in time that we will pass through and uh, then there'll be memories. So enjoy every single one of them. Dr. Shannon, it was an absolute delight. Thank you so much for joining me. Where can listeners follow you and learn more about your services? I am on my website, drshannonchavez.com and on most social media platforms at Dr. Shannon Chavez. So definitely check out all of the sources. I, I do a lot of education around sex. Also, my practice is called Shape Center, Sexual Health and Pleasure Enhancement. And we are a virtual practice, but I have many clinicians that work with me and we all offer a complimentary consultation on the phone if you have any questions about sex therapy or you want to know coaching versus therapy. So definitely reach out to us at shapecenter.org, which is our practice website. Thank you so much, Dr. Shannon, for joining us. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on Spotify and or Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe and click that bell icon on Spotify so you can stay updated whenever we, a new episode drops. I'm Samantha Dersarkissian, and thank you so much for listening to yours truly.